0: Christ for His coming. We've just been singing songs about that, anticipating his coming, remembering that He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as the children reminded us again, we're to tell that story, we're to go and tell, tell it on the mountain, all that God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to think about that as the letter to the church in Sardis is that of being vigilant, of being awake, being alert. Understanding the times, the days are evil, the days are short, Paul says in Ephesians 5. Therefore, walk as children of the light. We want to think about that tonight. Direct your attention to the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 3, the first six verses. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. So far, the reading of God's own holy word may add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this evening. Well, we know from our study in the book of Revelation that uh, God has uh, intention for us to hear this word, not only in its historical context, not only to the church in Sardis, but let all those who have ears to hear, hear. For this is a word to, as it says in the last verse, to the churches throughout the age people of God, reputation does not always equal reality. That's what we see in this uh, warning of Jesus to the church at Sardis. A warning to the church today that we are those who are not uh, to live on reputation only, but to live in reality, to live in the truth. Sardis had a reputation, more literally there in the original, it says, you have a name, alive, but you are dead. And they had a reputation in Asia Minor of being alive, but in fact, they were near death. They were living on past reputation. A brief history of Sardis will help us understand better, I think, the words of Jesus to the church there in Sardis. Sardis itself was at one time the most glorious city in Asia Minor. It was a uh, a city filled with gold. It was a city that had a great fortification. It was, it was uh, surrounded on three sides by sheer cliffs. There was really only one way in and one way out. Very uh, difficult to capture. And so when there was any attempt to come to, against Sardis, they had to go through that, that uh, uh, outcropping up to the city. And so the king could focus his, his troops there. And it was very uh, it was highly unlikely that Sardis was going to be conquered, and yet what happened in this city was, in fact, defeat. The city went down to defeat twice, once at the hands of Cyrus, the Persian, and once by Antiochus, the third. Well, how did that happen? Well, both conquests occurred because of a lack of vigilance, a lack of of alertness to the situation. What, what exactly uh, was the enemy's uh, abilities and where were the weak points of the city? The enemy sized up the city and said, well, we certainly can't go through the, the, the main uh, entrance because it's guarded by all the troops. But they noted that around the walls, uh, where those ships were, around the walls, that there was a, a, a potential to scale the walls and to uh, attack that way. And indeed, that is how it happened. And it happened not once, but twice. For the city had become uh, proud of its uh, of its uh, impenetrability, and it was thinking that it could not be conquered. In fact, the word, the phrase capturing Sardis meant uh, to mean cap- uh, doing the impossible, accomplishing the impossible. When it happened, the Greek world was so astonished. They said this can't happen, but indeed it did, and that was because of a lack of vigilance. A city had a past glory, but the reality was that it was vulnerable because of its lack of vigilance. It was not vigilant. It was open uh, to attack and to defeat, and the complacent spirit of the city had really captured that congregation, as Jesus tells us here uh, in Revelation 3. The church had become somewhat complacent, thinking that Uh, its reputation was a reality. Something's missing in this letter that we saw in the previous letters that we've looked at already, the first uh, letters that we've looked at, and that is that Jesus, when he speaks to Sardis, does not give a commendation. Begins with rebuke. He says, I know your works, verse one, you have the reputation, you have the name of alive, but dead is your name. You are dead. Jesus speaks again words that of warning of hyperbole that they are near unto death church in sardis had ceased to be vigilant it was living on reputation not on reality in danger of copying the history of the city in which it was found that is to be open to be conquered by the enemy Children, when we talk about how the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, we remember the shepherds in the fields, right? In the, in the dark fields and the glory of the angels shone around them and told them the story. Were they ready? Were they anticipating this? That's how Christ came that first, uh, that first time. And he's going to come that way again when we least expect it, as he says in this story. But they're walking in the dark. What are they doing? They're protecting their flock, to be doing that too. We're to be those who are vigilant, those who are aware of the church and those that we love, standing in the truth, not living on a reputation. Oh, I know that church. They are they are known for their for their doctrine. They're known for their knowledge. Well, we trust that that doctrine will also be a reality in making us leading us to live holy lives. Jesus declared that the church, was ungu- the church was unguarded and about to die, for the enemy knew the way to conquer the church. In verse 2, he says this: Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Jesus declared the works of the church were not satisfying to him. That's something of the, we could say that is another translation of the original here. He's not satisfied with these works. They're, they're not uh, works that are pleasing to him. It's a serious rebuke because it doesn't matter what man says of us, what reputation they give to us. Oh, we know those people and they're so forth and so on. What really matters is how does Jesus view us? What does he say? How does he see us? He knows our hearts. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're doing. He knows when we're singing, dear children, what, uh, whether we're singing from the heart or we're think, thinking, oh, I just want to get this over with. Do <laughs> we think about what we're singing, singing to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his praise and to the glory of the Father? Jesus warned the church that she had to wake up. The phrase there can mean live the resurrection life. Live the resurrection. We're made new. We're made alive. We're to live the resurrection life. Or he says to them, I'll come against you as a thief. There in the end of verse 3, it says, I'll come against you. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it. Repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know at what hour I will come against you. The Bible is filled with examples when Israel was not vigilant and was conquered. We're not going to look at those all tonight. We're not even going to look at at many of them, Uh, but there is... Uh, there's examples of how Israel is, is not, they're not vigilant, they're not paying attention, they're living on reputation, or they're, they're thinking, well, we have our gods, and we're serving our gods, and they, they live on that reputation, rather than drawing closer and closer to God. And there's individuals that are given for our example in the scriptures throughout, individuals amongst the people of God, who also are living uh, on reputation, but are conquered because they are not vigilant against sin, they're not awake. King Uzziah's story is one that I want to just look, uh, share with us briefly. His story sticks out in the Old Testament. You can find it in Second Chronicles 26. He became king when he was young, and we read there in 2 Chronicles 26, that as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. His fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped. Until he was strong, it says there. Until he was strong. When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, verses 15 and 16 tell us. Proverbs warns us of that, doesn't it? Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, pride goes before destruction. Are we living on a reputation or are we living in a reality? Walking in the light, living in the light, understanding the truth, applying it. We're only truly strong when we recognize Our weakness and need of God. Church needed, this church needed God to avoid death. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, remember, or you will die. We can cite other examples. We think of David's example when he was strong, how he sinned. We can think of examples of Samson as his fall is well known in the Old Testament, the book of Judges 16, Paul's word to Corinth, be careful to stand in God's grace or you will fall. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. There are warnings to the church, examples for us to heed that we would not think that lack of vigilance is, uh, is, is, a pro- is not a problem. In fact, it is. John MacArthur says this about the text. He says, "When what are the danger signs that a church is dying? A church is in danger when it is content to rest on its laurels, that is, to uh, be satisfied with past achievements, when it is more concerned with liturgical forms than spiritual reality, when it focuses on curing social ills rather than changing people's hearts through preaching the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. When it is more concerned with material things than spiritual things. When it is more concerned with what men think than what God has said. When it loses its conviction that every word of the Bible is the word of God. No matter what its attendance. No matter how impressive its buildings. No matter what its status in the community. What reputation it might have. Having denied the only source of spiritual life. It is dead. Well here. Jesus identifies the works of this church as not acceptable to him. What deeds are acceptable? I should probably ask my catechism students from this morning. We just covered this this morning. Anybody from high school catechism class want to tell me? What are good works? Right? We talked about that. That which arises out of true faith, that which conforms to God's law, and that which is done for his Glory. Right? That's what God sees as good. That's what God calls good. And that is Jesus' command to the church in Sardis. Wake up, strengthen what remains, remember what you received and heard, keep it, and repent. Daily repentance, right? That, that new life is characterized by a daily conversion, a daily repenting of our sins and of leaning upon the Lord Jesus Christ, of recognizing that anywhere else is a hopeless place to rest. We must rest in Christ. The summary is, be vigilant. We could look at many verses that teach that. But one verse in particular that I think of is 1 Corinthians 16, 13, where it says, Be watchful, be vigilant, stand firm in the truth, act like men, be strong. What a powerful word to us today to stand, to be vigilant, to stand firm, to be convicted, to have conviction. We know that the world has its conviction about its own positions. It says, you take yourselves far too seriously, and then they turn right around and they try to to, uh, disciple us with their own convictions. Understand that the devil is crafty. He tries to make us feel defensive about our position, but we are to be those who stand with the truth, to hold on to the truth. Jesus says something very interesting then in verses 4 and 5. He says this, that there are still those who properly bear the name. They, bear, they have the right reputation because it is in line with reality. He says this, "...yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments." And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The reputation of these few was a reality. They had not been defiled. They had not compromised their faith. And Jesus praises them or cites them as example and says, this is what I'm talking about. The reality of living the Christian life, of standing in the truth of telling it upon the mountaintops that Jesus Christ is born, that he's coming again, that he's coming to judge the living and the dead. At a time when we least expect him, he says, I will come as a thief. Children, he's not saying he's going to come and steal from us. He's going to come unannounced. That he's going to come when we least expect it. We need to be ready. Though the days are dark, we recognize that he will come and light will pierce the darkness. And those who long for his appearing will sing his praises and glory in his name. Jesus promises these people who walk with him, uh, that they will walk with him in white, for they are worthy. White is the color of heaven, if we can put it that way. White, in the book of the Revelation, You see the white stone, the white cloud, the white throne, all speaking of purity. It stands for festivity and victory. It's what we look forward to. Return of the Lord Jesus Christ, white again as a color of purity, being unstained by the world, not buying into what they are selling, recognizing that we alone find purity in Christ. Jesus says that these believers... Who have conquering faith, those who conquer, conquering faith, will be clothed for heaven and he will confess their name before his Father in heaven. What does he say back in in Matthew chapter 10? It's wonderful to see the the children uh, up front and to hear them singing because it's, it's in keeping with what Jesus says. He says, confess, acknowledge me before men. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. The warning against those who compromise is this, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. White, the brightness of glory, the purity of heaven, what some will say is a starting point. Oh, well, I learned all of that when I was a kid, but... Now I've grown past that. I know all of that, that gospel message. I know all of that teaching from Scripture. I've moved on. There's much more that I'm learning now, maturing to something greater. The Scripture says we do not ever move beyond the truth. We are to be those who know that truth. Well, one last word to, on Jesus' word to Sardis before we see his word to us today. What does he mean when he says that they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy? What do we do with that? Are they worthy to enter heaven. Well, it has been argued, I think, persuasively, that when you look at that word worthy and how it's used in the book of Revelation, it's speaking of those who are confessing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ without compromise, and as such, they are deemed worthy. Their faith is genuine, for they show it by their confession. Jesus is seen as the one who is worthy because he was willing to suffer for the truth and his people are to follow after him in that suffering as we saw this morning. And there they then bear the name child of god because they have not denied or have, they have not denied their lord and savior. There's much more that could be said on this but we'll leave it there. I'll then brief application of Jesus' words as we come to our final point this evening. And that is this. Remember and keep the truth. That word again. Be vigilant. Be awake. Be living the resurrection life. Verse two. Strengthen what remains. Remember what you have received and heard. Your people of God, do not forget the word of God. Do not forget its promises. Do not forget its commands. Do not forget the comfort that it brings. Press on. And he says here. Keep that word, and repent, keep it and repent, verse 3. Be conscious of sin, repent of it, and find forgiveness and confidence to press on in the fight. We know that as we confess our sins, he is faithful, and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must go to him and acknowledge that we have that need. Think of that deep period of darkness between the last Prophecy from the Old Testament prophets on until Christ came. 400 years of darkness, and they're waiting. What are they resting on? Many of them were resting on their, uh, uh, a lot of their, their religious practices. In fact, they were developing laws during that time in the intertestamental period, trying to, to appear uh, worthy to, to be saved because of what they were doing, and getting further and further from looking for and anticipating the blessing that God was going to sin, namely the Savior. They walked in darkness. The Lord pierced that darkness when he sent the angels to proclaim that the glory of the Lord had come to earth in Jesus Christ. We are to be those who remember our focus is there, to repent when when we look elsewhere, to confess the name of Christ. Do not be ashamed to confess the name of Jesus Christ. He is to be Lord of your life. Nothing can take that place. Tell that story. Children, that's what you did tonight. You sang it. You said it. And you are to live it. Just as the shepherds went and told the good news of what they had heard, that Jesus, the Son of God, had come into the world to rescue those whom God had promised to rescue. What a message for them to proclaim, to offer peace to the peoples of the earth, to cover over all our sin. He alone can give us peace. He calls us to submit to his lordship, to walk as those wearing white, symbolizing the heavenly life, that life of purity, that life of devotion, unstained by sin. All who confess him, he will confess before his Father in heaven. The promise is that if your faith is real and you are not living on mere reputation, that your name will be forever written in the book of life. What a wonderful message, that which opens the New Testament with the Gospels. Who is Jesus? What has he come to do? And here in the end, Jesus says, I have accomplished it. I am making all things new, he says. Behold, I'm coming soon. We are to wait, to long for his appearing, to live for him each and every day, to look forward to that day of rejoicing when we will receive the uncorruptible life. That is the gift that God promises to give, which is greater than anything else we can receive. God belongs all the glory and praise. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look to the end of the word, it is consistent from beginning to end. You proclaim that you will deliver us from darkness, bringing us into light, and you show us your Son, who is the one from heaven. We have beheld his glory, John writes, glorious of the one and only, full of grace and truth. We've heard about that tonight, and the children in their singing, reminding us of who Christ is. Uh, We are to be thankful for that message. We are reminded at the end of the word, we hear your son proclaiming as King of kings and Lord of lords that he's coming again when we least expect it. But when he comes, all will be revealed. Those who are living by mere reputation or who are living in rebellion against him will not endure unto everlasting life. Those who are in him, who are living by the power of the Holy Spirit, fighting against sin, longing for his appearing, will rejoice in that day of glorious light. Lord, keep us pressing on. Give us great joy as we think about that day and of that gift that has been won, that has been sealed by the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross through his resurrection and now in heaven, preparing a place for us there. Father, hear us as we offer our prayer of thanks and of praise to you. For we do so through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior in our life. Amen.